Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode 38, where we chat with Elmo. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. And actually, it's not going to be we, it's going to be I today because Katie is out sick. But welcome, Elmo. So who are you? Hi, I'm Elmo Painter. I am a longtime practitioner of polyamory. I've been poly for about 17 years. I'm also a licensed therapist in Chicago. I see people in Chicago and I also do video coaching um, over Skype and things like that. Um, And I work with kinky folks. I work with a lot of queer folks and poly folks. Uh, The reason I became a therapist is because there is a big lack in the mental health field of of people who get it, who people who, you know, practitioners who are not only not going to stigmatize, but practitioners who can actually help and guide folks along the poly path. Totally. Uh, and how do you identify? Oh, so I have uh, gender wise, I'm very, I describe myself as a gender cake. I'm kind of like a <laughs> fa- like a, a, a queen femme person, um, more of a creature than a gender. And then sexuality wise, I'm demisexual and attracted to pretty humans. And um, yeah. Like I said, I've been poly for about 17 years, and I've been a very kinky person for about the same amount of time. What drew you to polyamory? I kind of always have been. As, like I'm definitely one of the people who feels like that's how I'm wired, mm-hmm. and it just always has been, and monogamy kind of never really made sense to me. And I know that it does make sense for a lot of people, and a lot of people, we're all just like wired differently. For me personally, I've I've always just... And like, but I want to kiss this person, like, and they want to kiss me, like, why is that a bad thing? And, you know, and, and those are, those were kind of my teenage years. And luckily, I found polyamory in my very early 20s. So I was able to kind of grow into it all through my adulthood. Uh, what does polyamory mean to you? Polyamory means the practice of, I mean, loving people in ways that are natural like love like meeting someone and being able and open and free to explore what that connection is rather than being limited to this means this and this kind of definition for what a marriage is this is the kind of definition for what a romantic relationship is and this is what a friendship is and being able to have more of an authentic exploration of what those potentials are and what those connections are. I'm really wordy. Uh-huh, like, I don't, fine, I don't yeah. have like, this is an answer. I have like, oh, yeah, no. I have like little philosophical paragraphs <laughs> for answers. That's totally fair. Uh, what do you find difficult about polyamory? What I find difficult and I think what a lot of people find is um, kind of being understood, mm-hmm. being understood by family members and friends and sometimes coworkers and um, what else? And also just like always coming back to what feels true 
for me in the moment. And having been poly for so long, allowing myself to shift my needs as I grow. Mm-hmm. And um, that the poly that I practice now is very different than the poly I practiced when I was, you know, 25. And now I'm 38. So it's just, um, yeah, being being continuously mindful and aware of my needs, my partner's needs, any like romantic connection needs and like the internal rightness for all of us involved. Are you open to a lot of uh, people or uh, around you? What do you mean open like out of the closet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Being open about your like poly status because I know that for some people it's not a problem being understood by people because they're just they just don't open up to anyone, you know, Mm -hmm. but so you're open to a lot of like coworkers and, and family and such. Yeah, I have actually built kind of my career around my authentic expressions. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, straight out of grad school, I was already guest speaking at my school and other grad schools, um, educating people about BDSM lifestyle and and polyamory and things like that. And and my when I started my job at the group practice where I work, I was like, look, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And I and this is the kind of uh, community, these are the communities I, I want to work with. And they were like, yeah, awesome. I mean, that's kind of why we hired you. Yes, <laughs> like, yes, yes. Yeah. And I meant out, not open. I mean, maybe I should uh, rephrase that question. Are you out to all of your family and friends? But yeah, um, yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, it makes sense. And I, I feel the same way. I'm, I'm probably not out to all of my family, though there are like select people who I feel comfortable with. But when it comes to my friends and my uh, where I work, which is a, you know, it's like a sex positive feminist sex toy store. The fact that I'm out is a benefit mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to the community and to, to my, to the business there. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's in just like you, like, you know, it, it adds to, uh, it doesn't detract from. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So I know you said that Polly is more of a, maybe like an identity to you, but was there a point in time in which you knew you were Polly? Before I had heard the word poly, because mm-hmm. um, when I started practicing, it wasn't like the ethical slut was out and like maybe one other book, um, but it wasn't like a word that a lot of people knew. So mm-hmm. I just knew that I needed to break up with monogamy. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm breaking up with monogamy. It's not for me. Uh, and then someone recommended the ethical slut. And I was like, hello. Yes. Thank you, Dossie. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> right? Like. So, yeah, it, it it was, there was a little bit of a space of time, maybe even just a few months when I was poly without really having ever heard the word before. Mm-hmm. Did, it, did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and uh, our follow-up question is always like, when did you feel you were different, if you ever have? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think I relate, like, when I feeling different to being kinky Mm -hmm. uh, more so than Polly, I guess, because uh, I definitely remember, like, freaking out boyfriends and things like that when I was a teenager (laughs) because of the sort of things I was asking for. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, but it doesn't sound fun to you, (laughs) you know? You're not into this? What the hell? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, as far as being Polly... Um, I don't really know. I was also an out queer person in in high school 
so I was just I was just weird all over the place mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I had like pink hair and I was like a little like queer punk rocker and mm-hmm. it was the mid 90s and not very many people were out at my school um and I was just kind of out and I didn't give a fuck mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. people responded positively to that which I feel really fortunate about and yeah I don't know I've just like I've always been weird and it was never I can't I can't recall a time of feeling like, oh, I'm different about being poly because I'm already super different in all these other Mm -hmm. ways. And that's actually an answer we get a lot is like, well, you know, I was queer or or, uh, I've always been queer and that was different or, you know, any other kind of like gender identity or something that was going on, you know, that made me different first. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what was like, what was even that big of a difference getting into polyamory? I was already weird or, you know, and I think that actually polyamory attracts it in a little bit of a way, like the community track attracts people who are kind of outcasts. And the ethical slut actually talks about that a lot, that if you can't find your poly community, go to Ren Fair or, yeah. <laughs> you know, start a D&D group because you'll yeah. find them there, you know. <laughs> Hit the cons, yeah. friend. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. So where are you in your poly journey? Ooh, where am I in my poly journey? I had a really... I mean, of course, I've, it's after a long time, it's been a lot of uh, waves and different kind of uh, seasons, like, of you know, seasons of life. Um, I was, I lived in San Francisco for about six and a half years from 2004 to 2010. And that is like a poly playground, kind of. I mean, San Francisco is so... Being poly is so normal there. And so I also had this benefit of kind of growing up growing up as a poly person with a lot of elders and seeing a lot of people who have been in poly relationships for 30, 40 years, you know, and marriages and metamors who are best friends and have been for decades and, you know, all these, like, beautiful poly families. So that is a lot of what has grown me as a poly person. Um, And then I moved to Chicago. I got pregnant and moved to Chicago in 2010 and really struggled with my poly identity because all of a sudden I didn't know any other poly folks. And I was like, am I the weirdest person in the Midwest? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I really would like to find some community. And it took a few years for me to find anybody. Um, But I have uh, and they're lovely. And I was, I dated a little bit in uh, finishing up. So like after I had my son, also just dating becomes harder, as you know. Yes. Yeah. You have to like (laughs) move some stuff around and figure things out. And your child is your primary. Right. (laughs) Big time. (laughs) So, um, yeah, as he was growing, as my son was, as has been growing up, just kind of navigating that has been really interesting. And then I was in a relationship in 2015 where, you know, it started and I was like, I'm Polly. This is not going to change. This is a non-negotiable aspect of who I am. And then kind of halfway through the relationship, it was just like um, the person I was with was just not okay, not okay, not okay, not okay. So we've I experimented with monogamy for about six months and then 
clearly that relationship didn't uh, survive. Yeah. Um, cause I wouldn't have, mm-hmm. um, spiritually. So that ended. And now I am, I have, I also have, I'm tr- I think I'm still trying to figure out how to answer this question. <laughs> so I also have um, a sweetheart in, who lives in California, and we have a very like sweet relationship, uh, very romantic friendship that we've had for about 13 years. Um, and I have just very dear friends who are our friendships are very kind of like fluid as far as like romantic feelings and like really big feelings and being able to express and be affectionate with each other. Um, and then I have my, I'm engaged, um, and my fiance and I are both very much people who feel like we're wired poly folks. Um, and we're, um, opening a, a little bit more and more, like a little bit more and more. Um, and I am finding now that my poly path where I am now is very, it's more like it takes me a long time to feel the yes in, in, in wanting to be more affectionate with somebody. And I've been kind of a fox coming out of my foxhole <laughs> and looking around a lot socially the last couple of years. Um, also, just being a therapist it takes a lot of emotional energy. I bet. And you have to do, have a lot of self-care. And uh, having a kid on top of that is a lot. Um, so yeah, just being in a relationship with myself is a lot Mm -hmm, (laughs) because of all these other things. And Mm -hmm. then having my relationship with my fiance, um, and then still trying to show up as a friend to my close people and chosen family. It's a whole lot. Um, yeah, you end up wearing a lot of hats when you're like Polly, have a job, have a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So much. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm actively dating other people, um, but I'm also not looking. And I'm also not not looking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I like to say, like, I leave the door open, I guess. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess that kind of uh, um, answers our next question, but but where do you hope to go in your poly journey? Yeah, so my, my partner and I are both like right now, this is where we're at in our home and things like that. But we want to move toward like when our kids are a little bit older, especially my son, because he lives with us, is to move toward like a cooperative living yeah. um, with with friends and having like a poly family um, and, you know, having like this big, beautiful, like kind of polycule type mm-hmm. or or just communal living. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like or how that's going to unfold, but we definitely both have that vision mm-hmm. of that like communal family. I think that gets so much more, it's so much more of an inviting idea when you have kids, because I know just like my husband's girlfriend will, will help watch um, our daughter sometimes. And it's, it's such a relief. I was like, Oh, is this what it's like to, you know, like have help. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God. Like just being able to to have someone that might be able to pick her up from the babysitter or might be able to just just help out um staying home with her one day if 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 either of us can't. It's such a relief and it's so nice. And uh and yeah, it's 
I was like, oh man, living with a, like a poly commune with other people with kids and other people that could that could help out would be so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's the opposite things of like, would you ever get privacy? Like, I don't know. Like everyone would, we'd have to have a mansion to have everyone get their own personal space, and you know, <laughs> like because that would be really important to me too. Yeah, but yeah, but it's definitely an ideal, and I think it's an ideal for a lot of people in the community. Not everyone, not everyone's like kitchen table poly by any means, but. Um, but it's it, at least for me, it's like it's a really nice idea, even if it's just hypothetical and may never happen logistically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, there's so many people who are like, let's do this, let's do this, and like kind of nothing gets off the ground. Right. But maybe if we keep talking about it for the next like eight years, it will. Yeah, and when you have multiple incomes, it's a little bit easier to think about a mortgage that's, you know, huge yeah. <laughs> or something. <laughs> So why do you think you are Polly? Why do I think I'm Polly? Oh, this is like a who do you think you are question. <laughs> um, I think I'm Polly because I, I mean, like I was saying before, I value freedom and I value personal freedom and I value possibilities and um, having the ability to connect with somebody without fear of having it be confusing, like being able to communicate clearly with a person and their partners and um, being able to really explore that in a way that is both authentic and in line with my values. I, I liked the idea of like living fearlessly because I, I guess I don't think about relationships as being something that you have to fear but so many people do they mm-hmm. fear like talking they fear communicating with their partner and opening up and uh, i was like oh man is that what polly is it's like being fearless and that's really liberating and awesome and yeah that's really yeah. cool yeah. a good way to frame it yeah like recently i was kind of friend crushing on somebody who is kind of a very vanilla monogamous married man like cis man mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, I really want to be friends with this person, but I could tell that that would be inappropriate because of his culture, mm-hmm. um, you know, or like that he would, uh, or like his people in his life would think it was inappropriate, right. or maybe his wife would feel it was inappropriate. And I was like, that's really, it's really a bummer. Yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. I just want to be friends with this person, and it, it's really clear that that would not be acceptable mm-hmm. uh, in kind of a lot of the areas of his life yeah that's really sad yeah so why did you agree to be interviewed today um I love talking about all these things Mm -hmm. I mean I guest speak at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and Northeastern University and Columbia College Chicago uh, and Adler University and all these different places and programs, uh, and human sexuality seminars and, um, um, psychologist and psychotherapist training programs to educate people and normalize these things like mm-hmm. normalizing kink, normalizing polyamory, um, and just kind of putting kind of a friendly face to it. <laughs> and, um, just talking about how happy I am mm-hmm. as a person who's been doing this for so long and, um, yeah, just helping other people uh, hear a voice that might sound 
familiar and talk about situations that might sound familiar and being able to kind of help liberate other people because hearing other people's stories can be really freeing, I think. Yeah. Awesome. All right. We are going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Okay. And we are back. So today we wanted to talk about something that we actually haven't really discussed much on the podcast is the importance of therapy. I have a lot of questions and I think I think this will be super interesting because I have never gone to therapy, but I'm a huge proponent of other people doing it. I'm always like, this is a great thing. This is a good thing. Like, please do this. And I guess I would love your take on it, especially as someone who sees poly folks, because I think that it's, it's, it's so important for people in maybe more difficult or relationships that don't have a good model or framework uh, to get help. Uh, and so, like, what is your experience with being a therapist? Or have you gone to therapy, too? And, and you know, like, have you experienced the other side? Yeah, uh, I've actually been to a number of different therapists throughout my life. Some have been great. There have been one or two that were the kinds of experiences where a lot of people say, therapy's awful. I'm never going mm, back to therapy. Yeah. Um, but m- for the vast majority of the people that I have seen, it's been really great. And it's a- it's also important to note that <clears throat> if you go to one therapist and they suck, you have to treat therapy like you're dating. You're yeah. not just going to go on one date and be like, well, I guess I'm I celibate. Yeah. yeah, I can't be in relationships. <laughs> like every therapist is different. We all have different styles. They're all human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. There are some who are going to stigmatize more, and there are some who are going to be manipulative and controlling. And that's awful. And I really can't stand it that there are people like that in the same field doing the same work and then there are those of us who are just really compassionate and want to meet you where you are and uh have been through similar circumstances and have gone through similar struggles and who want to just kind of be there on your journey and shine a light on your path um on potential paths and you know see which one you want to go down and be with you as you go down that path um, and then handy some skills along the way. Because if that's what, if there's one thing that therapists are good at, it's handing out skills. Mm-hmm. You know, we have so, we have such great resources and all different kinds of theories and all different styles. And um, it's about finding somebody that's right for you. I guess that's a, a good question. It's like, what is the main point of therapy? The main point of therapy. Hmm. That's going to be different right. for that's everybody. Yeah, yeah, it depends on your goals. Um, and that's kind of the first thing I ask is <clears throat> take a little bit of history on the first day that I see someone and then find out what their goals are. You know, I'm like, why are you here? What mm-hmm. do you want to do? And it's usually a lot of things like I want to have better relationships. I want to learn to manage my anxiety um, or I want to stop having flashbacks or I want to be able to land in this relationship that I'm in because I was in an abusive relationship before, but now I'm in a healthy relationship and I'm still struggling because Mm -hmm. it feels so unfamiliar, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. You said you, you work with trauma a lot. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So I'm a trauma specialist. Um, and there are all kinds of different, there are a lot of different kinds of trauma. Um, not all of it is, so 
cut and dry as abuse and assaults and war and things like that. There's also like falling down and car accidents and surgeries, like things that are kind of a little bit more normal, but our ner- it's it's all about our nervous systems. So trauma lives in the nervous system. It's a physiological issue. It's not as much of a psychological issue as it is in our actual bodies. So that's why I do the somatic work that I do. And what is the definition of somatic therapy? Yeah. So uh, what I do is called somatic experiencing. Um, and <clears throat> it's a lot of body mindfulness work and movement uh, and feeling the sensations of the body. And it helps with everything from learning authentic yes and authentic no, especially for people who grew up with really uh, different boundaries than they want to have now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like lear- learning what your boundaries are and orienting to safety and kind of being able to look around a room and notice that there's no threat in the room and being able to settle your nervous system and be present with that. And it's that kind of stuff. And it's also going back through some experiences that people have had and not in a way that's too um, overwhelming because that's what we were staying away from. Mm -hmm. I always work very, very gently and very drawn out. And if we never, if we kind of, you know, think about what happened an hour before the event and then an hour after the event, um, we don't get to the actual event itself. And there's a release, there's like a, a release in the body using the um, using the practices, then we've done that and we might not even need to get to the content, mm. right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's, very, it's very good for people who have been, who don't want to like get re-traumatized by reliving yeah. the, the traumatic events that have happened or, um, or even if it's not just one event or a few events, even if it's, you know, growing up in a household where there was somebody who was angry and, you know, whether this person was drinking or whatever. Okay. And when did you know it was over? Like, was it over when the person went to sleep and like really feeling into like, okay, the person is asleep and like being that younger, feeling into that younger part of the self and, and orienting to safety there. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's all different kinds of things and it's really, it's really powerful. I mean, it really, really works. I've seen it do, amazing things. And it's done amazing things for me too. And my healing journey. That's really cool. I I would love to learn more about somatic therapy. I know that on a couple of podcasts I listened to, there were um, sex somatic therapists, mm-hmm. which is something mm-hmm. I have only heard about for the first time this year. And yeah. I was like, this, and it was mostly um, regarding trauma and people mm-hmm. who had dealt with sexual trauma. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard of. I don't think it's legal in the state of Wisconsin, but apparently it is in Canada and California. And I was like, huh, this is so cool. Like actually having kind of hands-on therapy to to get into and and hopefully recover from or or help recover from trauma. Totally. Yeah. I know a few people who do it yeah. in places where it's not necessarily legal right. and it's, it is tricky to get around and it's huge. It's huge, wonderful, beautiful it's so incredibly, work. And I've heard yeah. like... I guess it wouldn't be reviews, but I've read articles of people who have gone through it and and then also people who have gone through it and then also become uh, sexual somatic therapists themselves because it was so helpful and they want to like 
spread the good word. And yeah, it sounds really, really amazing. Um, if anyone wants to hear more about it, the podcast I was listening to is Shameless Sex. And um, and they have interviewed multiple somatic sex therapists. And it's, yeah, really, really interesting stuff. And you also said you do poly coaching. And so is that mm-hmm. separate entirely from therapy? So I see people uh, clinically at the group practice where I work in Chicago. Um, but outside of that, I do have um, a little side coaching business. Uh, and I see people over like video chats um, and work with people on, you know, helping with their poly practice. Um, and sometimes like sensuality practice and I do kinky coaching. Um, and I don't really advertise that a lot. People just kind of come to me and they're like, uh, can you help us? You know? And and I'm like, yeah. Um, so I, you know, I'm totally, would totally open to more advertising for that someday. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, is there like a certification or anything that would can make someone well, like, what's the difference between a coach and a therapist, or is it just terminology or semantics? Um, legality. Yeah. Like, okay. I, I'm not licensed in Wisconsin. I'm only licensed as a therapist oh, sure. in Illinois. So okay. you, it's state. Your licensure is state by state. That makes sense. So, um, and I can only see people who live in Illinois using my license. But you know, if I if there's a consensual. Um, consensual agreement that this is a coaching relationship Mm -hmm. i can see whoever that makes a lot of sense there's more freedom in it and i can do like video video chats and um things like that is coach still a legal term though or no no there's no so kind of anyone could be a coach depending yeah okay that makes more sense yeah but i do have a ton of training you have a degree in therapy yeah of course so yeah um so that's really cool and and what kind of things do people come to see you for poly coaching? Yeah, so they're everything from people who are very new to poly and hey, Elmo, like we're really thinking about um, opening our relationship. Like we kind of and we kind of don't know, and there's this anxiety about it and this stress about it, and um, and I help. Essentially, what I do is I help normalize all of that normalize the anxiety, normalize the insecurities, and normalize the want to open, you know, and all of that is super real. All of that is super human. Um, And just like really supporting and being happy for people when they reach new kind of levels. Um, I started coaching a couple like over a year ago who – you know, they were thinking about opening and now they have this beautiful polycule and it's like absolutely gorgeous. And it's like extended family, you know, like chosen family type situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's really wonderful. And just being able to be a part of that blossoming has been such an honor. Um, and And also people who have been poly for a while who are just kind of like you know, we've been doing this thing this way for a long time. I don't know if it's still working. Can you help kind of like help us iron out the kinks? Pun not intended, <laughs> but like, you mm-hmm. know, like help iron th- th- some of this stuff out and mm-hmm. just just working on communication. Just I mm-hmm. love helping people communicate better. 
Do you usually work with couples? Um, couples, individuals, um, I mean, lots of people. Oh, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I know I've talked to another um, like therapist here in Milwaukee, and, and she said there was kind of like insurance issues when it came to talking to couples uh, as a therapist. Uh, and so that got tricky, especially with poly folks that could be, you know, more than two, two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, that oftentimes people will come in separately and sometimes like special occasion together or something. You know? Yeah, I have mostly worked with kind of a couple that's couples who are primary and then they have other folks. Mm-hmm. And that's another flexible part of, be, of the coaching side of it is that I don't have to worry about the insurance red tape right. stuff yeah. around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. So I imagine something that gets um, covered a lot are insecurities and boundaries. And I will find that even in just giving out kind of my own advice, um, people in the poly community in Milwaukee will will like private message me or, or take me aside at a, at a social and say, you know, I'm going through X, Y, and Z. What do you think I should do? And sometimes they just want to tell me, you know, and they just mm-hmm. want to, to get it off their chest. And that is totally fair. But sometimes they're act- actively seeking advice. And a lot of it comes down to insecurity, communication, and then like establishing boundaries. I'd say those are the things that I have to to go over the most. Totally. Yeah. So you found the similar ideas or similar? Yeah, I mean, all of it breaks down to, I mean, honestly, so much in any kind of relationship just comes down to communication mm-hmm. and being able to have, uh, like, learning assertive communication because a lot of us are not taught assertive, communi- assertive communication growing up. Um, I think it's being taught more to Generation Z, mm-hmm. but, like, a lot mm-hmm. of us, like, Xers and Zillennials and even Millennials are not really, um, we're not really taught to be assertive. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of helping people retrain their brains and their, you know, their voices to say what they want and uh, say what they don't want. I think I was just talking about this. I'm I'm not quite sure how it came up, but uh, I was talking about like getting the wrong meal at a at a restaurant and I was talking to a friend and I was like and I mean I didn't send it back or anything because I'm not about that life but and he was like what like you got the wrong meal and you just ate it and I was like yeah I mean it was fine <laughs> he was like what are you talking about and I was like I don't complain about things you know and I, I don't know if it's a cultural or or midwestern thing or a, a generational thing but I was just like yeah we just don't like make a fuss <laughs> You know? And also, I think it and it kind of goes back to uh, on our previous t- podcast, we were talking about people socialized as women that we apologize a lot mm-hmm. just for existing. And we don't we we don't want to make like a problem. We don't want to cause problems. And yeah. so we want to solve problems. So we uh, so we don't do that and probably don't advocate for ourselves either. Just unfortunate. Yeah, because sometimes when we are when we're trained to not to have very loose boundaries, Mm -hmm. sometimes having boundaries feels like you're being mean, right? It can feel like you're being rude. You're being a bitch. Mm -hmm. You're being mean. um, You're shutting people out. You're being cold, frigid, like whatever labels people are going to throw at that. um, Or your inner, you know, your inner bully is throwing at that and labeling Mm -hmm. that. Uh, And what it, all it really is, is, uh, being in line with your yourself, like your your 
the self that you want to be more often. Um, I used to say higher self, but I think that sometimes I see a lot, I see a lot of perfectionists and I think Mm. that that can be a very like, yes, my highest self, which is this totally unattainable thing. (laughs) I'm like, okay, no. How about the self that you are the most, like the, those times when you feel the most in line with yourself being that more often. That's Mm -hmm. all, that's all that practice is, uh, rather than having this like impossible version of yourself. That's like not real. Something that, that what we were talking about, um, brought to my mind is like learning to say no Mm -hmm. um we are so conditioned to not say no and to please others and to do what we're told and I mean I'm still working through that I'm you know a 32 year old person and I have a huge trouble saying no because of that fear of displeasing others and you know I also work in customer service often and so I'm like oh well that you know we're so ingrained that not only should you not say no, but the customer's always right. And, you know, just please and try to make other people happy. And yeah, it's, it's takes a lot to unlearn. And mm-hmm. all you're doing is, is advocating for yourself. You're not being mean, you're not being a bitch. Literally saying no is saying like, this is something that makes me uncomfortable or is something I don't want to do. This is something that is a crossing a boundary of mine. And yet it's so hard to <laughs> develop that. Yeah. And it takes practice. I think that's the biggest thing is that I've been able to practice and and dating and then like um, seeing new people is all a practice. And sometimes I fail. and Sometimes I don't do what's in my best interest. But I learn every time too. You know, yeah. So. And I think that also flows into what we were talking about earlier before we started recording mm-hmm. in that sex positive culture and how that kind of not saying no can kind of can bleed into this like, oh, you're sex positive, so you're down for whatever, right? Oh, you're poly, so that means like, it's a free for all. Or you identify like, as kinky, so yeah, exactly. you must be okay with all of these things I want to do. Or right, yeah. and all of that is bullshit. Right, all of that. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no. This is good for everybody. Kind of line, or in, uh, and that's why, you know, in polyamory, I said before, it's different for everybody each individual person has their own way of being poly. There's no cookie cutter way. Each um, each relationship, each triad, each polycule has their own way of doing this practice. And I call it a practice because I think that that's what it is. And mm. it's not like, whatever. I just like, I just yeah, like the word practice. Um, it's not an, uh, an art that you can, <laughs> I don't know, I guess it could be, but, but um, yeah, it's not something that you are done with ever, right? Like yeah. you're always going to be learning forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And evolving and your needs are always going to be changing and yeah. and the and the and yeah, the art of being mindful mm-hmm. of yourself and the other people who are close to you and being self-aware and and being like, yeah, I think I I think I really want this or I think I'm really not comfortable with that and I need to talk to my partners about this. So I think from a kind of a realistic or logistic standpoint, like how does somebody get into therapy? How does, how does that work? I guess it works differently. As a client? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, um, psychology today has a lot of new filters. So you can actually go to psychology today in their, um, in their therapist directory and 
put in filters like BDSM friendly, gender queer wow. friendly, poly polyamory non monogamous friendly, or and like you know bisexual cool. allied, you know gay allied, trans allied. Um, so yeah, it's actually That's oh really sex cool. worker allied. Wow. Like they actually have some really solid filter choices now. Um, so I mean I would start there and read people's bios. You can filter by the kind of insurance you have. I mean, it's actually a really great place to find a therapist. That's awesome. That's yeah. wonderful. So I was I was on a trip uh, with a bunch of other poly folks, and I actually got to sit down with dinner because it was kind of like communal dinners, and I got to sit down with someone who is a, a poly therapist, and and I was like. I want to pick your brain because this is something that I would love to do one day, something I would love to get into. And what did you do? And, you know, and she was talking about like the tracks that she went on and the, the kind of like schooling she got. But then also she said, if you're serious about this, you should know you're not going to be able to date in your community anymore. Word. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> she was like, yeah. So if, if there's a conflict of interest because you're dating someone and they're, partner's partner wants therapy or the you know like there's the four or five degrees of separation between you that might not be professional for you to continue dating that person and I was like oh and she's like but if you feel comfortable only taking clients from say a different city than you or or traveling for work or no longer dating then it's great and I was like I didn't. And she was practicing in San Francisco, so maybe there was mm-hmm. a big enough community that it wasn't a huge deal. But I was like, oh, that, that sucks. Like, so how do you deal with, like, uh, organizing that aspect of your life? Do you, but you do practice in a different city, right? Like, so, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I was curious as how other people do it, being poly while being a therapist. Yeah, so there's a lot of that stuff in being a therapist yeah. uh, and being a kinky person. I also don't re- can't really go to play parties in yeah. Chicago because that's where my clientele is. Yeah. So I go to play parties in San Francisco because that's kind of my kinky home anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm starting to meet more people up here in Wisconsin, um, and that's been really nice. Uh, but yeah, I, there's a lot of uh, – and I, I used to be a burlesque performer. I don't perform anymore because if one of your clients shows up at your show, it can be. So there's that. I mean, and um, there's like, you know, I've done like pinup work and it's on the internet. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. a lot of stuff that is that can limit you. And I'm actually like um, I'm actually surfing the uh, question for me of do I want to continue to do the clinical work just because of all the red tape that's involved and all of that stuff and all of the privacy and the boundaries and all of that stuff that's involved in that. Um, yeah, that's something that I'm really having a conversation with myself about. And I, I, I definitely thought about it and that this has been two, three years now that I had this conversation with this woman and I'm like, wow, I, I, and I've been thinking about it consistently since then. And I think, you know, I value being able to date as a poly person so much that it would it would really be difficult. I'd either have to to travel or only take clients from with like outside of my community, which is very difficult to mm-hmm. do and manage. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know that I I don't know that I'm there that I could do that and give it up, give up 
being poly to be a polytherapist, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Those are real questions. Mm-hmm. Totally. So we had spoke a little bit before about, before the podcast about like the longevity of polyamory. And I know that on other podcasts, we've talked about like, what is a successful relationship? And oftentimes in just monogamy culture in general, we, co- we consider longevity a measure of success. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I find it really interesting Oftentimes when people say that poly can't work, it's because they never, you know, and I, Dan Savage said this at one point, I've never seen a, a triad have like a third anniversary party or something, you know, because he was just kind of like, and it was something he said years ago that he has since apologized for, but he was like, there's no longevity in polyamory, you know? Uh, so I guess, what's the secret to longevity in polyamory? Because <laughs> you said you've been poly for 17 years? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's continually hearing things like that and remembering <laughs> that it's actually, that's actually bullshit. bullshit. You yeah, can, absolutely. you can do whatever you want in this life. Mm-hmm. Like, and uh, you know, if it's in line with your values and who you are and you can find people who are down to be in that with you, you can do whatever you want in this mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as far as your relationships and, um, what you choose to do with your time and things like that. What is the secret to longevity? (laughs) Yeah. Just kind of continually coming back to yourself, I think. And with, in relationships, you know, we have this measure of, uh, success of longevity, but that's not necessarily success in relationships. I've had extremely successful relationships that lasted three months right? where I grew and the other person grew and it was beautiful and our, and our goodbye was healing, you know, like all of these, all of these different elements can make a successful relationship. It's not like, you know, we've been together for 65 years and mm-hmm. we're all going to be, you know, cremated together, you know, like that's, <laughs> you know, maybe some people's goals, um, but it's not, it's not necessarily... We don't have to listen to that either, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's great to want longevity. And of course that there are people in my life who I'm like, we in this, we in this for life. Right. Uh, and it's not just my fiance. Like there are other, other folks around us that who are like, okay, we're, so we're all going to live together. Awesome. Um, and I think it's just continually being mindful of your commitments, your commitments to yourself, commitments to the people in your life, commitments to your ideals and your values um, and allowing yourself and each other to, to grow and have room to evolve and within those boundaries or if they need to shift to make room for something else. Yeah, I, there's not really a straight, solid answer other than kind of flexibility and continued yeah. mindfulness. Be prepared to grow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so back on the topic of the importance of therapy, I guess, is there, is there anything you wanted to add about either um seeking therapy or or um talking to a partner about seeking therapy together um yeah i mean the as far as the importance of therapy it kind of comes back to these ideals that i keep talking about which is self-awareness and mindfulness and flexibility and a therapist can help you um undo kind of more rigid black and white thinking and help you kind of live in a more fluid, flexible uh, awareness space. Um, and 
have and knowing your boundaries. So having boundaries and being able to be flexible within those boundaries is just one of the skills that a therapist can teach you. Mm -hmm. Um, And a therapist can also help you figure out if you're in the right situation Mm -hmm. um, for you. Um, And a therapist can help people as far as relationships, couples, triads, polycules, uh, going to therapy. A therapist can help um, solidify those boundaries and solidify those wants and those agreements and those guidelines within the um, within the relationships and also help, you know, as as people evolve to help people evolve together. Or sometimes the uh, sometimes a relationship therapist job is to help people end well, Mm -hmm. to help a relationship end well, which is also something that can be very important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I know that there's like a huge stigma of, uh, and it, I mean, maybe it's lessening. I think it is with like younger generations of of seeking out therapy and going and seeing a therapist. But is there something that you know you like to tell people when it when they feel really either guilty or ashamed of of seeking out help? Um, I like to bring in the universality of how we are all a mess. And like, we all need somebody to help us. I mean, people go to clergy, people go to mentors, community leaders, sometimes parents, grandparents, um, your crazy aunt, you know, like who is like, can be a model for a lot of people, Um, like all these different people. Um, And a therapist is another one of those people who has a lot of trainings and Mm -hmm. specifically about uh, understanding it's, I really, I tell people I have a master's degree in compassion. It's like (laughs) really, really learning how to understand the hell out of somebody and Mm -hmm. where they're at and where they're coming from and what their experiences might've been and, and how to work with that person in a way that helps them grow the way that they want to grow. And I think as opposed to a, a, a friend or or partner or family member, a therapist is unbiased, right? right? Like it's someone that's listening to you that doesn't have all these ideas about what your life should be and who you should be with. And yeah, it's like a clean slate, I think. It's... Well, I want to be real right now and say some therapist. Oh, some. Yeah, that's Hopefully a good point. Hopefully your yeah. therapist is like that. Because there are point. therapists out there who are like, you should be doing this. And, right. you know, I actually had uh, an experience with a therapist where they stigmatized the hell out of my poly, my poly heart. And it was, it fucked me up for Mm -hmm. a while. I was like, wait, I had all this shame, you know, like the person was like, maybe you're a love addict. I think that you're addicted to oxytocin and like all these things. And I was like, is everything about me wrong for, you know, Mm -hmm. a couple months? And, and then, you know, being able to find my anger in that and be like, no, this person was wrong. Mm-hmm. This person was very wrong. Uh, and then being able to come back to myself yeah. again, which I'm very fortunate. I feel very fortunate to have that sense of self, that like strong sense of self to come back to. Mm-hmm. And therapy has helped get me there. I would say like in the um, in the poly community here, we will have a Facebook post about once a month or every two months that's like, poly-friendly therapists, please tell me who you see, you know, and a lot of names get thrown around. And oftentimes someone will say, 
this person did not work for me for X, Y reason, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so it is, it's hard to find like a polytherapist or a poly friendly therapist that's even like your kind of poly. Cause that's so different, right. you know? And so there were, there was a couple in the group who, of the couple, the polytherapist, the, the <laughs> polytherapist, I keep saying that. So the therapist they saw, the like man in the couple really appreciated because they were saying exactly what he wanted to hear. And the woman in the couple was like, no, this isn't my kind of poly. This isn't what I want. You know, and it might have been like hierarchy versus relationship anarchy or something like mm-hmm. that. But it did not speak to them and it wasn't helping them at all. And that ended up kind of like fracturing the relationship because this authority essentially was saying your poly's wrong their poly's right you know or something like that so yeah it can be really difficult i imagine like and and had the person been super relationship anarchy instead of hierarchy the other partner wouldn't have felt okay you know so like totally yeah it's yeah so that's i i know that people have to like shop around and that's also so difficult because especially when it comes to poly friendly and queer friendly therapists there's only so many. There's like yes. five yeah. that you can go to. Um, and hopefully they're open-minded enough that they can work with you. But yeah, it's... And sometimes, um, I guess, I also know people who have therapists for different reasons, you know, different health, mental health reasons or trauma or, or different things. And you just have to hope that they're open-minded about it. Like, that's not their specialty, but maybe they're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then they don't dwell on it or something like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I have, I've had um, therapists who were not necessarily like advertising that they're poly friendly, but I was like, this is my lifestyle. And they're like, awesome. Yeah. Let's like, what do you, where do you want to go with that? You yeah. know? And mm-hmm. like it, and I, and I say to some people, it's not hard. It's really not hard to just understand right. someone. Right. All right. So is there anything else you would like to add about um, just the importance of therapy? <laughs> I mean, therapy can be, it can really be what you want it to be, mm-hmm. uh, whether you want to work on your uh, skills for depression or anxiety, to work on relationship skills, communication skills, boundaries, um, or just if your sense of self is in question, you know, and, you're, and you want to do some exploration in that. Uh, or if something really scary has happened and you need someone to be there for you um, who might have a bit more understanding about like what your nervous system is going through, what your brain is going through and help to normalize a lot of that stuff. Um, or if you're trying to work on or if you've got writer's block or, mm-hmm. you know, like there are so many different reasons to go to therapy. Yeah, I guess I was also wondering what different forms therapy can take. There's got to be a lot, right? <laughs> so many. Yeah. I mean, there's cognitive behavior therapy, uh, which is kind of the a big, uh, a big popular it's evidence-based. But the thing about that is all therapy is evidence-based because it's really about the relationship more than, you know, whatever the, the, what whatever. Um, <laughs> so there's, though there are those and there's kind of existential therapies and more person-centered therapies that's that's kind of where i reside Mm -hmm. um and and more uh, existential and person-centered humanistic 
zone, but I also use CBT and I use DBT and I even do some, you know, psychodynamic. I mean, our, um, our training in grad school is so it's the whole scope and you get to kind of pick and choose what works for you. Um, and different clients have different needs. And I use, sometimes I use more body centered work with some people and more kind of cognitive thought work with other people and always from a lens of what does this person need right now to grow? And like, what kind of space does this person would, would help this person blossom in this moment? That's really cool. All right. Well, that's all I had. Um, but thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was really enlightening. I thank feel you. like I should seek out therapy now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember... We love you. Bye.